Okay, today we are studying Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to be discussing um, Jesus' atonement, the blood atonement is the topic. I think this is a fabulous topic. It's one that's too often neglected, so much so that I think many, many Christians don't even understand it because they're not being taught. So, but we have a chance of learning from the Scriptures. We were on verse 10 two weeks ago when we last visited Hebrews. And we were going to begin verse 10. So Hebrews 9 and verse 10, this is concluding the description. Uh, to get everybody up to speed, the first nine verses were a description of the Old Testament sacrificial system and the, and the services of the tabernacle and the Day of Atonement and the various things the priests in the Old Testament did. And it's setting us up for a contrast to show that Jesus Christ is a greater high priest who went into a better tabernacle with a better sacrifice that has better results. That's what we're learning. So Hebrews 9 and verse 10, Since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body, imposed until a time of reformation. Interesting um, terminology. Another way to translate that is correction. My New American Standard says a time of reformation. What is your... Anybody have a different version? New order? Could be... King James' Reformation shows the New American Standard. Well, if those two say that, it's got to be right. <laughs> it's got to be good enough. Yeah, that must... <laughs> All right. So, um, this means that now the time of Reformation here is what? Yeah, the, shadow, the substance rather than shadow is what it says in Colossians. And so this age, which is the time of Reformation, is the Messianic age. All right, the age of Messianic salvation. Can you go back right to Hebrews 1 1? Because it's yeah. actually referring back to what's happened in Hebrews 1. 1 says, God, after you spoke on both the fathers and the prophets many portions in many ways, and the last days you spoke in the words of the Son. Yes. That's Jesus, the new Moses. That was a good essay you sent me, Norm. <laughs> he sent me an essay about Jesus is the new Moses that was prophesied. And so that Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says that in these last days, which began, I believe, on the day of Pentecost when they were announced by Peter, and they continue until the return of Christ. And so in this time of Reformation, now uh, the only way that anyone can come to God is through Jesus Christ. Amen. Because He is the way, the truth, and the light. Okay, I have some cross-references here. Where should we begin? Um, you're going to have to help me with some names. Richard. Richard, that's right. I'm sorry. Could you read Leviticus 17, 15 through 16? And Sam, Galatians 4, 3 through 5. And Norma, Colossians 2, 20-22. And uh, Phyllis, Hebrews 13, 9. Okay, Richard, Leviticus 17, 15-16. 
every person who eats will die naturally or what was formed by thee, whether it be of your natives, of your own country, or a stranger. He shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean for thee. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, Okay, so that was the, this reference of washings. And the cleanness had to do with ceremonial cleanness and the ability to come into the congregation. These, as I mentioned before, these laws in Leviticus had to do with reminding the people that God was a holy God. And they had to realize that it, to come into God's presence, they needed to be holy. Now, so they had the ceremonies to do that, and, and it was an external washing. What we're going to find out now is that in the New Covenant, God washes us from the inside. And he makes us holy starting in our hearts. Not just an external religion, but a change that He does graciously by the Holy Spirit and washing our conscience even. Okay, so that was the, that was the Old Testament washings for ceremonial clean, cleanliness or cleanness. Now, Galatians 4, 3 through 5, Sam. Even though, excuse me, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Amen. So the law was looking forward to something better. In the fullness of time, that the right time, God sent Messiah. Colossians 2, 20 through 22. Okay, so there were some false teachers in Colossae who were suggesting that if you were really going to be spiritual, then you had to go back to some sort of a ritualistic cleansing that they prescribed. And Paul tells them that that's foolish. That it, can, it cannot possibly cleanse you by doing ritualistic things. Uh, that was Colossians 2, 20-22. These, these things still come around and trouble the saints. And there isn't any false doctrine the Bible warns about that somebody won't try to trot out there and uh, start a new religion or trouble the flock. So we need to be understanding the Scripture so we don't be deceived. Okay, Hebrews 13 and verse 9. There is this, what we were just talking about. It's no value. You can't get holy by certain kind of foods. Amen. Amen. <laughs> like, like, like one, like one preacher said, uh, can I, if I eat ho- pork, can I still go to heaven? And, and the, or somebody asked him, and, he, and the answer was, yeah, you'll probably get there sooner. <laughs> okay. Meat, 
But what really surprised me later on when I got converted, all the Protestants laughing at me for eating meat, not eating meat on Fridays, probably 99% of them didn't even know the gospel. If they were going to tell me not to eat meat, the Sabbatical, you know, and laugh about it. The sad thing is, that's how sharp Satan is. They're laughing about me not eating meat, which was, I was lost. I didn't know any different. But they didn't have the gospel to tell me the way out. Yeah. So they're laughing at me. It's what's really sad today. They're laughing at me because I'm supposedly eating meat and it's a joke. But you know what? The lost were laughing at the lost. Yeah. You think about it. The lost laughing at the lost. They didn't even know the gospel. So if they knew the gospel, they wouldn't laugh. The Protestants, all of them, they would have told me what the good news is. They, yeah, they, they had their, picture. they had the liberty, but they didn't have the truth. They didn't have the truth. Yes. This is another reference that maybe is interesting on the watching Matthew twenty-four. Okay. The heart needed to be changed. And that was an Old Testament concept because Moses is the one in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, said that God will circumcise your heart that you might love the Lord. The straining of the gnat, by the way, it was a literal thing that they did. When they, because an insect would make you unclean, they were afraid that the wine might have an unseen gnat in it. That, and that if they drank the wine and not knowing that there was a little dead insect in there, um, they would end up being unclean. So they'd literally strain it to make sure nothing was in there so they didn't become unclean. So it was something they actually literally did. And Jesus pointed out that they got a bigger problem, and that's all this garbage going on in their hearts and minds. So there you go. Um, talking about that eating meat, I, I just finished writing a CAC article yesterday, and in my article I referenced Charlemagne. And I'll, you can find out when it comes out why. But, but I have a reason to bring up Charlemagne, who forcibly uh, baptized thousands of people. He, he defeated the Saxons. And Charlemagne was a very open-minded guy. He gave them a choice. He says, you're going to be baptized, and, you're, and your choice is you can be baptized in your own blood or in water. And so um, they decided for water. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, yeah, 4,500 in this one city he murdered. But anyhow, he forced this whole nation to become Christian. And I was reading this capitulatory of Saxony that was a document created by Charlemagne just for the research for my article. And I had a whole list of things that were the rules and they were punishable by death. And one of them was that it, uh, keeping Lent and, and those, those, the Catholic rules. And, and if you didn't, he'd kill you. So they have really good rate of compliance. <laughs> so you can make somebody a Christian if you tell them you're going to kill them or they're not a Christian, but you can't change somebody's heart. Yeah, they all they all decided that Christianity looked better all the time. Uh, anyhow, I you you can find out why I'm citing Charlemagne when you get the article because I'm comparing it to some things going on today. Okay, Hebrews nine eleven. But when Christ appeared as high priest of good things to come, 
He entered it through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. Now, there is a textual variant, and I don't know what which one your versions follow. Some of the Greek texts said good things that have come. Some of them say good things to come. Does, does yours all say to come? Yeah. I think that's probably the stronger textual evidence. Either way, I think you still have an already not yet that we're talking about a lot. In other words, the good things have come in the sense that Messiah has come. We have entrance into the holy place by the, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Messianic salvation is available. We can come. But they're also to come because we don't have the fullness until Christ returns. So that's your already not yet. Uh, he entered through a more perfect tabernacle. Now, we talked about this earlier, but some of you may not have been here, that the claim here is that the tabernacle Mo- Moses erected in the wilderness was made after the pattern of the heavenly one. That's what was said, taught here in Hebrews. And so that Jesus actually entered the heavenly tabernacle and made atonement once for all with his own blood. That's what is uh, talking about a more perfect not made with hands. That is not of this creation. So compared to the one Moses set up, which was made with hands, this one is in, in, in heaven. So this is comparing and contrasting the provisions of the Old Testament with Christ's sacrifice. We have a greater sacrifice, a greater tabernacle, a greater high priest, and a greater um, atonement. So he has provided access to God. Um, hi. <laughs> Let's have a few people read some verses. Uh, Pat, Genesis, Genesis 49.10. Noel, Isaiah 59.20. Barb, Malachi 3.1. Bird, Acts 17, 24, and 25. Leif, 2 Corinthians 5, 1. And Pat, once you find that, go ahead and read. Yeah, that one is a messianic prophecy. That was uh, Genesis 49 was when Israel blessed his twelve sons, and he picked out Judah and prophesied in the blessing that that the scepter would not depart from Judah until the promised one come. And when this one comes, Messiah, to him will be the obedience of the people. So that's what's prophesied in this section of. Um, uh, Genesis 49, very profound passage that it finds its fulfillment when Messiah came. Okay, Isaiah 59:20. A redeemer will come to Zion. To those who turn from transgression in Jacob, declares the Lord. Okay, there's the prophecy of a redeemer who will come. Malachi 3:1. Messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord of 
Yeah, the prophecy in Malachi is that the Lord will come to his temple. And that was Messiah. So there's a prophecy about the deity of Christ. It isn't just some future man who comes, but the Lord himself. And the New Testament says that was Messiah. Acts 17, 24, and 25, Bert. Yes, that was Paul's address to the pagan philosophers at Mars Hill. And they had these statutes, and they had one there that says, Unknown God. Um, that's the Greek agnostic. <laughs> Let's read over agnostic, without knowledge. And he, he says, This unknown God whom you worship in ignorance, him declare I unto you. And then he preached the gospel to the Athenian philosophers. And that was part of that address that, that Burke quoted. And late 2 Corinthians 5 1. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I'm going to be preaching on that this morning from Philippians about uh, Paul's desire to be present with the Lord and for Paul to die is to go be with Jesus Christ. And so we'll be talking about that. I'll reference Second Corinthians 5 a couple times there as well. Let me read something from this fantastic uh, scholar, William Lane. I think one of the better scholars, uh, New Testament scholars in our era, says this, The continuity exists in that Christ, like the high priest, passed through the front compartment and entered the most holy place by means of blood in order to secure atonement. But the accent falls on the degree of discontinuity in the action of Christ. The sphere of his priestly ministry was not an earthly tabernacle. He passed through the greater and more perfect compartment to enter the heavenly sanctuary. The medium of his approach was not the blood of animals, 9-7. He entered the presence of God, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. The result of his action was not the limited recurrent redemption of the animal atonement ritual. He obtained eternal redemption. Eschatologically, eschatological finality <laughs> characterizes his ministry. That means that this... What he did will carry all the way on into the end times and into eternity. And the phrase that's operative is once for all. Amen. Once for all. That's very important. And that's what separates Christianity from all of the religions. Every other religion, you have to keep going back and doing works and going back and doing works, trying harder and doing works and failing and trying harder and doing works and making sacrifices and doing all your prescribed religious duties, whereas the Bible says that Christ did it all once for all, and that those that come to him by faith are eternally redeemed once for all. And uh, why isn't that preached? Well, because if you preach that, you just took away the power of the preacher. In other words, we can't peddle on you. We have nothing to sell. It's a free gift. We can't control people because they receive from God what he gives is a free gift. No, no preacher can peddle it. Nobody can make you uh, jump through hoops to get it. Um, it takes the power. Yeah, it takes the power away from the religious authorities. And so I think that's why this isn't preached that much. 
But if you preach something that you have to keep coming back and getting from me something, that otherwise you're in trouble, hey, that that works. Did they make fun of Jesus when he's trying to explain the temple when he's standing in front of me and he would die and rise? And they laughed and said, my gosh, it took Herod or wherever so many years to build this yeah. temple and they couldn't get it. He was trying to explain the resurrection the temple, yeah. the eternal temple. And all they could see, just like today, is the... The buildings. the buildings. Yeah, his disciples asked about the buildings, and he said he predicted they'd be destroyed, be destroyed. which they were in 70 A.D. So, that's the blood atonement. Let's go to verse 12, and this gets better. <laughs> it's great. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. There's that phrase, once for all, absolutely critical to understand. I wrote a CIC article once that was, wasn't designed for my readers. It was designed for them to give to their Catholic friends. And it was called The Gospel for Roman Catholics. And what the article was emphasizing was this material right here, that there's a high priest. There's only, only, the only priest that's different than the priesthood of every believer is Jesus. These earthly priests can't do anything for you. But, and, there's, and there's a blood atonement that was done once for all. And that you can go to God by faith and receive forgiveness and eternal life. Those simple facts is what I felt like you need to share with Roman Catholics. Because that's where they stumble. Now, I had a few Catholics that called me and were offended. And I've actually met with some of them. And... They claim, well, we already believe all that. We already believe that. You're claiming we don't believe something we already believe. I said, well, if you believe it, preach it. Uh, most most Catholics don't know this. If they do believe it, they don't. They never hear it. They don't believe it. We, they say we got this. We got it. Sure, they got it. It's Christ plus, but not Christ with none of that. Period. See, yeah. They got it all, like the Hindus. They got 350 million gods, and they got Jesus on the shelf too. But I mean, that's the Catholic Church. We got it. No, you don't got it because it's Christ plus nothing. They got Christ plus you name it. Okay. Well, anyhow, that's what we were dealing with. And we're trying to encourage people about this is, this is truly good news. The gospel is good news, is it not? And is there any better news than Christ did it for us once for all? Is there any better news than the blood of Jesus washes away our sins? Is there any better news that we receive eternal redemption, not just temporary redemption until we screw up? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, a lot of people believe that. And even when I was in the Pentecostal church in the early 70s, even though they claimed to believe this, there were so many of the people that believed every week they thought they lost their salvation. They, were, they had altar calls on Sunday nights, and some of the people would be back every Sunday night because they felt like they'd lost their salvation. Because they didn't do good enough, or they they something went wrong, or they got mad, or whatever, and and they they weren't taught well enough that they ended up really like a lot of people that don't know any better. That their salvation is always dangling. Uh, even one of my professors at uh, Bible College, Doctor Snow or Reverend Snow, I don't think he had a doctor's degree. Wonderful, blessed man, and he was telling the pastors that he says, "Don't you, don't preach like that." You, he says, uh, he says, some of the funerals I've been at for, for our people, he says, you would think we had no hope. And he says, and the people I've visited uh, that are dying in the hospital, he says, they, they're, they're in terror. 
He says, because we've had our pastors dangling them over the pit forever, telling them they're going to lose their salvation if they don't do everything just right. And, and he says, that's not right. You shouldn't be telling people that. Where's the assurance of salvation? Amen. Uh, Reverend Snow, in my pastoral theology class, when people have been properly taught the gospel, one of the results of faith is the assurance of salvation. Amen. And, and one of the things that happens is we don't rely on ourselves. We know that God has done it once for all. And, and we have, and they'd say, well, if you believe that way, and literally that's what some people say, well, if you believe that way, then everybody's just going to go sin. And, it, you know, so nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, knowing the, the blood atonement is a powerful thing to keep us from sinning. Yeah, if we, well, I think I've got a verse on this coming up in First John, but the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. Uh, the goal, of course, isn't to sin, it's to not sin. Yes, go ahead. Yes, as a matter of fact, this I th- here, I was going to quote something on that. I think that had to do with the Day of Atonement. Yeah, they had the red heifer. What did I want to quote? 238 here. Um, here it is. I have a good question. Uh, William Lane says this. The, the goat was provided for the sacrificial offering of the people and the calf for the sacrifice offered by the high priest for himself and his household. So the goat was for the people, the calf is for the priests. Now one of the points made here in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus didn't need a sacrifice for him because he never sinned. But, but the, the, the priests said the Old Testament were sinners. So first of all, they had to deal with their own sin and then the sin of the people. And then after everything was properly done, then they could go in and, and uh, sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement. And if God accepted that offering, um, then they knew that God was pleased with them. And I think the other thing they needed to have, obviously they had in their minds because they saw it over and over, all this blood, the sacrifices, was that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. We were just preparing a radio show from, for one place from the series that, that I've been preaching through Genesis. We're editing that and turning it into radio shows. And the one in Genesis 3 was interesting. It was about a year ago when I preached that. And in the, in the narrative of the fall, where the curses are pro, you know, pronounced on Adam and Eve, the, the section of the narrative begins with them covering themselves with leaves, and it ends with God covering them with animal skins. And this is not just an accident. The leaves would be man's way of trying to solve his own problem. And it's not so costly, because you can take leaves off of a tree without hurting the tree. Right? The tree won't miss some leaves. But when you get the skin of an animal, the animal must die. And so even in the very, very earliest narrative about the sin and the fall and the promise of redemption, you have the principle that the price is death. Yes. Yes, and then it goes into Genesis 4, and the one brings the animal sacrifice and the other the grain. And the one's accepted and the other isn't. 
Yes. It's one of the things I like about reading scripture and studying scripture. Oh, I know. That's the same point we were making on the radio because what we did is we divided the sermon up and then Dick and I went and did a little sort of like we're I, I gotta admit, we're copying John MacArthur, all right? <laughs> if you can't get a good idea, use somebody else's. <laughs> MacArthur's radio show is his sermons, and then they divide he he preaches about as long as I do, forty to forty five minutes, divides it in two and has a guy interview him and they put it on the radio. So, uh, but we were talking about that. If you think about Genesis, nobody could, no human could figure this out. Nobody could sit down and say, I think I'm going to write 66 books over 1,500 years with 40 different authors and it's all going to tie together. It's not going to happen. You would never, nobody would be smart enough to figure it out. And so I see as strong evidence for the inspiration of Scripture in Genesis. Who would have thought of this? Who would have figured out all these little clues in Genesis that are going to come to, the blood atonement is already in Genesis 3, Amen. long before Jesus came. Yes. Why, why the blood? The life, Leviticus says the life of the body is in the blood. About 150 years ago, they used the bloodlet. You go to the barbershop because they thought blood was the garbage pit of the body. So scientists have finally figured out that Leviticus said the life of the body is in the blood. That's why when Abel was dead, he, Jesus said his blood cries out to me. God shed his life blood. They didn't get it until about in the last 150 years, no, the life is in the blood. And they mocked scriptures for that. So God's word stood true. Amen. The life of the body is in the blood. The shedding. That's why that animal died. He died. He shed his blood. And so, the new covenant. And so they know. They knew that. They knew what was necessary. We always talk about blood. Like, well, you know, what does it fit in? The shedding of Christ. It, it has to do with blood. It has to do with dying. Dying. Laid down life. Okay, let's go to the cross references. Um. Norm, Daniel 9.24, Cladorus, Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Keith, got a Bible there? Ephesians 1, 7. Uh, what's your son's name? Adam, Adam you, you got a Bible? Well, you're out of luck. <laughs> this is in your day. All right, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. He's your dad's. And then um, Denise. Titus 2.14, and Brian, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, and uh, Dean, Revelation 1.5. Oh, we've got some good verses here. I promise you, these are great verses. <laughs> Not that they all aren't. <laughs> I keep finding new ones all the time. Yeah. Okay, Daniel 9.24. Wow, seventy—that's that seventy weeks I was preaching on that a while back. That is one of the more amazing prophecies in the Bible. Unbelievable, accurate prophecy about how long it would be before Messiah would come. And the whole point of it is that he's going to finish the transgression. Okay, Galatians three thirteen and fourteen. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. 
Amazing, amazing. Christ became a curse for us. That was prefigured in the Old Testament. Can you think? Well, where was that prefigured in the Old Testament? Oh, yeah. There's, yeah, there's another one I was thinking of. There's one mentioned in John. It had to do with Moses. The serpent. It says in John, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. So Jesus himself said that that was a type of Christ. Now, what an unusual type. Normally, the serpent is what? Satan, the cursed serpent that slithers around because of tempting Eve and Adam to sin. But in this one instance, God had Moses put this brazen serpent, which they normally wouldn't want to do, and put it on a pole. And when they looked at it, they were healed. And it prefigured, according to Jesus, Jesus being on the cross. So here is the strange um, irony that the only one who's perfectly blessed, the only one who's perfectly holy, would be considered cursed in order that we might receive a blessing. And so Jesus took upon himself the curse of sin and ordered that for those who come by faith, according to that passage in uh, Galatians, that we could receive the blessing of Abraham, which is an allusion back to Genesis 12 and verse 3, that in his seed all the families of the earth would be blessed. So Jesus literally bore the curse of sin, became a curse. Yeah, that's in fact that's one of them I think we're gonna No that's no, I don't have that one in here. That was in Corinthians. Alright, so again, like we were talking earlier, could somebody have dreamed all of this up? I mean it's woven all the way from Genesis to Revelation. You, it had to be the Holy Spirit doing this. Ephesians one seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption through His blood. Do you think it's important that the blood atonement be preached? Yes. Amen. I know. Um, but it isn't very often. You don't hear it. Some of the most popular material out there have not, don't have a word about it. Why not? It's, it's not offensive. This whole thing is offensive to sinners. The emerging church? Um, it's a movement that's heavily influenced by mysticism that is attractive to people in their 20s. There's a guy out in Washington, I think, that's kind of the founder of it. And what they're doing is they're trying to create a sense of awe without having a lot of content. And so they, they have services with candles, sometimes dimly lit or the lights out and some candles, and sort of contemplative. Sometimes it's mystic, but not. it doesn't have to be. They don't have pews. They don't have pulpits. They don't have any of the kind of normal trappings. So they may get into a bunch of sofas or pillows and stuff in a darkly lit room with some candles and contemplate their spirituality. Well, because apparently in the Twin Cities now, there's some churches that have Yeah, 
emergent. Yeah. That's a new form. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be bad if you're just talking about the form. I know there's nothing in the Bible that says you've got to have bright lights and pulpits. All right, so if they were actually preaching the gospel, then I, I can't criticize that. Yeah, the form is neutral. But some of the key leaders of the emerging church movement are into mysticism. And when Carl and I went over to hear Os Guinness speak uh, at a KKMS event, he was talking about that. Somebody asked him about that, and he says he knows this guy who was one of the leaders of it, and he says the guy's so confused he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's what Os said. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. No, no, no. Yeah, that's right. What Thessalonians 1.10. I was right. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who reversed us from the wrath to Rescued us. He rescued us from the wrath to come. I like that phrase, being rescued from wrath. Again, do you hear that in gospel preaching? The people realize they're facing God's wrath and they need to be rescued. See, salvation, the word saved, so and so, means rescued from serious peril. If people don't know they're in peril, how do they know they need to be rescued? I was just writing again. I finished this article yesterday and I was, I was quoting from The Purpose Driven Church, the earlier book from 1995. I had to read that when I was in seminary. It was required. Not only was I required to read The Purpose Driven Church, I was required to read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Covey, who's a Mormon. I was required to take the SHAPE program, no, not SHAPE program, the Myers-Briggs Indicator, which comes from Carl Jung. I mean, you can't imagine. Uh, paganism from one end to the other. Well, anyhow, when I read this book at the time, I kind of, I didn't realize where I was going. It was a new thing, and I read it, and I thought, well, some common sense, and you know, it's not how I'm going to do things. So I didn't pay a lot of attention. I just read it because I had to for the class. Well, I got to back out yesterday. And you know what I found in that book? He says, seekers, you know, do you know what seekers are? Sinners, right? Okay. Seekers don't care about truth. They're not looking for truth. They're looking for relief. And so if you want people to come, you got to offer relief. Relief from what? Well, relief from whatever they feel like they need relief from, or that you can convince them they need relief from. And so they need relief from loneliness. They need relief from stress. They need relief from fear. They need relief from... But they're not told that they need relief from the wrath of God. (laughs) Yes. Right, but but you're not going to know that. Because they don't, they, they won't even use the category sinners. In fact, you know what I was taught in that same class? And boy, did I argue with those teachers. We should call these people, we should call these people pre-Christian. Pre-Christians. Pre-Christians. <laughs> and, but guess what? You know where all that came from? Robert Schuller. I read Robert Schuller book about the New Reformation back in 82. I had one sent to me for free because they were going to send one to every pastor in America, so I got my version. So, lucky me. <laughs> and uh, Schuller said, Jesus never called anybody a sinner. Oh, 
And he learned that from Norman Vincent Peale. So if Jesus never called anybody a sinner, well, we shouldn't do it. And I was, I was thinking about that. He never called anybody a sinner. Well, he said, you whitewashed sepulchers, you go, you go all about the world and make proselytes after yourself. And when you do, they're twofold more child of hell than you are. Yeah, I guess he didn't call them sinners, huh? <laughs> I know. I, it's just foolishness. It's foolishness. Yeah, he didn't call them sinners. He called them snakes and vipers. <laughs> I mean, so they're trying to convince us that Jesus used this good positive thinking thing that he got from Peel. No, Jesus didn't teach positive thinking. And then the other thing that this uh, Warren was saying in that book that I was reading was that um, if you do these things right, all these people are going to come. And Jesus did this. Jesus met felt needs. That's literally what he said. And he's just doing what Schumer did. And I was reading that. I thought, have, have you ever read John 6? The people had their felt need. They came and expressed it. They came and said, give us bread. See, he had already multiplied the bread. so they wanted, And they were going to take him by force, make him king. He walked on water to get away from them. I mean, they not, you know, went to the other side of the... Uh, from Capernaum, where they where he had multiplied the bread, they got on boats and got over to find him. And he says, "You're not seeking me because you saw signs. You're seeking me because you want bread. Why do they want Jesus to be king? Well, you know how hard a work it is to get bread. You got to go out and you got to plant. And you might have crop failure and you got to grind your wheat. And you know that's subsistence. Well, Jesus gives us free bread. We got it made. We're rich. And so he says. So he started rebuking them because their need was for bread. They thought." And then they started saying, well, I thought, we thought you were the prophet that Moses told us about. Moses gave us, gave us manna, uh, uh, so you ought to at least be able to do that good, right? Moses gave us manna, where's the bread you're going to give us if you're the new Moses? And he says, okay, the bread I give you is my, is, is my life for the life of the world. Well, the, what I'm going to give you is my life, and what you need to do is believe. And they, and they just wanted to argue with him. And by the time Jesus got done, he only had 12 followers left, and one of them had a demon. Yeah, my flesh for the life of the world. And then they got mad. So how can you say Jesus used good, positive thinking, felt needs methods? How can you say that? Just, they're selectively hoping you don't understand. All right, Titus... Titus uh, 2.14. Was that you, Brian? No, no, no. That was Denise. Titus 2.14. For so there you go. It actually says there that those who are redeemed are zealous for good works. Religion, religion says this. Well, you got to hold, dangle people out there, make them do good works to try to earn their salvation, which they never totally get. That way, they'll serve and work and work and work. But the but the truth of the gospel says that God gives us a gift of salvation, and the good works are, are a reflection of the grace at work, changing lives. Amen. So yeah, we are zealous for good works, but not because we think we're earning our salvation. So that's a good passage. That was Titus 2.14. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. You must know that you were redeemed from the useless way of living inherited by tradition from your forefathers, not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, that you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ the Messiah, like that of a sacrificial lamb without blemish or spot. You were redeemed by the blood of the lamb. How often does the Bible talk about this blood atonement? A lot. 
Should it be preached? Amen. I think so. Well, let's see if it comes up again. Revelation 1.5. He washed us from our sins in His own blood. Well, you know, the interesting thing about this, I remember I, uh, I was a product of the 50s. I was born in 1950. And the church I attended had come through the modernist controversy. Modernist, right? It was the United Methodist Church, and they had been pretty well taken over by the modernists. The seminaries had been taken over by liberalism. And the pastors that I had as a young man were all products of having graduated from liberal seminaries. And one of the things that happened in the middle of the 20th century, after this modernist controversy, was the whole idea of the blood was removed. And they actually went through the hymnals and took out references to the blood. And the liberals called that slaughterhouse religion. And they said, we can't expect modern people that are highly educated to believe in slaughterhouse religion. We need to come up with something more respectable that's suitable for the 20th century. And so what did they come up with? Well, they came up with um, wedding religion to psychology, Harry Emerson Fosdick's idea. And they were going to help you live a better life. Better living through religion. And that was the new message rather than this blood, which was taken right out of the hymnals even. And uh, I, I grew up in that. And I, all I knew, and I wasn't redeemed, so I didn't know that I was missing something or lacking something. But what I couldn't figure out was why we were being religious. Literally, I was forced to give up every Saturday for like four months to go to membership training class when I was 12 years old, and I hated it. And I couldn't figure out why, why, am I, why are we doing this? Why do I have to be religious? And, and they were saying, well, you're going to be a better person and you're going to live a better life. And you know what I thought? I'm perfectly capable of being a good person and living a better life without any religion. That's, I mean, that's what your friend Salisbury. Yeah, that, his friend... Uh, I'm not blaming, blaming you, but his friend is a former pastor who's now an atheist. And he sent me an email saying, I, since I've rejected Christ and renounced Christianity, my life has gone better. I've become wealthy. I've got a wonderful family. My, I'm happy. And I don't have to trouble my mind with all these things of like fearing God and what have you. That's what, that's, yeah, and so it was a very, I thought it was very honest and sincere email. And I Sending back some verses to look at the fact that you know sometimes righteous people suffer, sometimes the wicked prosper. That's why I say there's no difference between atheists and these modern day preachers. Yeah. Salisbury is a modernist that come out of the closet, and the rest of them are still in the closet, not preaching the gospel. Well, that's where I was going with this story about. Okay, we had the modernists, we had um, liberalism. We had the rejection of quote-unquote slaughterhouse religion. We had the removal of the blood atonement from all the literature and hymnals. All right? Now, fast forward 50 years. Now, now we're not in the 50s, and now we're not in the United Methodist Church. 
And we've got evangelicalism. And what's going on is the same thing, only far more subtle. Rather than just coming out and saying we don't believe in the blood atonement, or coming out and saying we don't believe in the wrath of God against sin, or coming out and saying we don't believe in a literal hell, although some have, like Clark Finnick, there's annihilationists out there, we just shelve all those things, stick them in a statement of faith somewhere that somebody can read if they want to, and preach on something else. We confess something else. So people can come to church week after week after week after week to an evangelical church and never find out that we believe in the wrath of God against sin or the blood atonement. Yes. Relief, yeah. And they dangle the relief in front of the congregation because that's what the people come to hear. And if we don't believe the relief is found in the blood atonement, and we don't believe the relief is found in the wrath of God, but we believe the relief is something else, that's what you give yeah. to the congregation, and that's what you Right. Demand. The purpose-driven church says people don't aren't looking for truth, they're looking for relief. Robert Schuller dogma, if there ever was any. Um That's why we have to preach the law. Exactly. Luther very much knew he was a sinner and lost, and he couldn't find any relief. Until he found no relief in Rome, but he found it in the gospel. Yes, Dean. Yeah. Oh, yeah, now they're neutered. <laughs> well... What's what's next? <laughs> God, God help us. God help us. And uh, we have uh, now we have some uh, fellowship time here. I think is anybody on coffee? Yeah. Okay, we're gonna have fellowship and coffee and 10:30 is church. The sermon today is from Philippians 1:21 to 30. God bless you.